trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Let's uh, let's get this thing started. Glad you could join us today. Want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors, including Monticello College. Org. You'll also find our sponsors at uh, pure-light.com, hslammo.com, and I'm very pleased to welcome the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage to our uh, program as sponsors. This is, this is such a wonderful thing, and, and I would ask you... As you uh, as you listen to the show, if you go to the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com, I always have links to the various articles or the various guests that I have on. And you'll notice down at the bottom of those show notes, I have links to each of my sponsors. All I ask is drop them a line sometime. Let them know that their message is reaching you. Better still, if you actually need their product or service or you know someone who does, make a reference. Make sure that their message is getting to the right ears, and I assume that since uh, since you're hearing this message right now, you are the right ears. So, where to begin today? Gosh, there's so much going on here. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna delve into what uh, may make some people a little bit uncomfortable because uh, I want to talk about something that, at least if if you follow the official narrative, this is just the stuff of conspiracy, you know, but. It appears that as as time goes on and more information comes out, there is mounting evidence that the FBI had informants and instigators actively participating in the ruckus at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. Now, the official narrative, of course, is, well, you know, what happened there was a bunch of white supremacist Trump supporters, which is redundant because they're all white supremacists. They conducted an insurrection and they went in there to try to overthrow the government to drag the people in Congress out into the streets and to prevent them from certifying the Electoral College vote. Pretty dramatic stuff. But that official narrative more and more doesn't seem to square with reality. And especially when you start looking at the mounting evidence that, wow, the FBI may actually have had informants and instigators there inciting the ruckus. You have to remember that it's not like they haven't it's not exactly like they haven't done this sort of thing before. Now, I believe Revolver News last week broke the story. And there's a tweet here that uh, that I thought was really interesting. In fact, let me just share the article with you. I found this on LouRockwell.com this morning. And the article says, last week, Revolver highlighted the disturbing number of key figures in the January 6th Capitol incident who have gone unnamed and unindicted, even as the number of criminal cases the federal officials have brought spirals into the hundreds. And by the way, there's a link to this in the article, to that earlier article. Worth your time. We mentioned it last week, but it, it's worth taking a look at. The article here says, by now, it's a distinct possibility that many participants in the January 6th <clears throat> riot were associated with the government in some manner, be it as informants or as full-blown agents. America's regime media is deeply committed to the narrative of January 6th as a planned insurrection 
And so they flailed desperately to debunk reporting by Revolver, as well as Fox's Tucker Carlson Tonight. Twitter's neutral aggregators made a cringeworthy clarification that only furthered Revolver's claims. And it's interesting because this is what the Twitter clarification says. One of the things trending in the U.S., Tucker Carlson. Federal law does not permit cooperating witnesses or informants to be charged with conspiracy, despite a baseless suggestion by Tucker Carlson that some co-conspirators of the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol were not charged because they were undercover FBI agents. Really? (laughs) You know, the amount of cope in that clarification is palpable. Here the article says Revolver will continue to report out the story of the Capitol incident and the federal government's potential role in instigating it. But there's another reason to suspect federal involvement in January 6th. And this is the part where, I don't know, maybe you're going to feel like, you know, Brian, loosen the tinfoil. That's just a little too conspiratorial. I understand. I don't spend time chasing conspiracies, or at least I try not to spend much time poking around about them. And the reason for that isn't because, you know, that's only for foolish dupes. It's because there's so much that's going on in the open. It just seems to me that, you know, the time is best spent. Might as well focus on things that are right out there that, that people can actually see for themselves, or at least they can they can verify if that's what they're interested in. Because there's a lot of conspiracies that will have you going down this rabbit hole and that rabbit hole, and it turns out to be essentially a waste of time, as well as it has that marginalizing effect because once someone utters the words, oh, a conspiracy theorist, You know, that's the signal for the people in the room around you to quietly find someone else to talk to or otherwise shun you. But let's talk about some of those times when the federal government has actually instigated outrageous behavior. Has actually been behind things that took place and then reported, hey, we saved you from it. This is the whole point of this article from Revolver. There's another reason to, ex- to suspect federal involvement in January 6th, and that is the federal government has a decades-long history of this exact behavior. In fact, Revolver already reported extensively on the phony plot against Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan, where five out of 18 core plotters were actually connected to the federal government. But there are countless additional incidents all over the country and stretching all the way back to the 1950s. So here are five of the most egregious incidents of the federal government inciting the crimes that it claims to be fighting. Do you remember the first World Trade Center bombing? I mean, thanks to 9-11, the 1993 attempt to blow up the World Trade Center is little remembered today. But at the time... That was one of the most significant terror attacks in U.S. history. It killed six people, injured more than a thousand. If the bomb had succeeded in its intended purpose, toppling the North Tower into the South, it could have claimed tens of thousands of lives. What's even less well known, though, is that the bomb that nearly murdered tens of thousands was built with the help of an FBI informant. Egyptian immigrant Imad Salem was part of Ramzi Youssef's cell during the plotting of the attack. Salem, Salem, posing as an ex-Green Beret, was encouraged by the FBI to join the nascent New York Islamic extremist movement. Once Salem had penetrated the cell, instead of using him to thwart an attack, the FBI deliberately let the attack go forward. This is a quote from the Baltimore Sun. Law enforcement officials were told that terrorists were building a bomb that was eventually used to blow up the World Trade Center. 
and planned to thwart them by secretly substituting harmless powder for the explosives, an informer said after the blast. Now, the informer was to have helped the plotters build the bomb and supply the fake powder, but the plan was called off by an FBI supervisor who had other ideas about how the informer, Imad A. Salam, should be used. So Salam didn't just observe. According to secret tape recordings he, he, uh, he made of his own conversations with the FBI, Salam actually built the bombs. He helped to build them. Again, from the Tampa Bay Times, here's a quote. Speaking with the agent about his expenses last April, Salam says, costs were pushed higher by the building of the Trade Center bomb. Told that his expenses had been a little out of the ordinary, he replies in broken English, I don't think that because we was start already building the bomb, which is went off in the World Trade Center. He says the bomb was built by supervision from the Bureau, by which he means the Federal Bureau of Investigation, and the DA, or District Attorney. We know that the bombs start to be built. By who? By your confidential informant. What a wonderful, great case. End quote. Now, a few months before the bombing, Salam suspended his undercover work. According to Salam, he didn't like the danger of wearing a wire. But in 1995, FBI officials said they stopped working with him because he repeatedly failed polygraph tests. After the bombing, Salam said he wanted to complain to the FBI's senior leadership. He was told to keep quiet instead. This is from the Baltimore Sun. The transcript quotes Mr. Salam as saying he wanted to complain to FBI headquarters in Washington about the Bureau's failure to stop the bombing, but was dissuaded by an agent identified as John Antisev. He said, I don't think that the New York people would like the things out of the New York office to go to Washington, D.C., Mr. Delam's, Mr. Salam said Mr. Antisev told him, end quote. So instead, the FBI redeployed Salam as an intelligence asset, having him participate in a second plot to blow up additional targets in the New York City area. Now, there's more to this article. In fact, I'm not going to spend a whole lot more time on the article. There, I'll, I'll touch on a couple when we come back after the break, but... Five times in the past that the FBI has actually actively incited people to do violence. Created opportunity. Hey, man, you know, I think I know a guy where we could get some explosives. You guys interested in getting some revenge? This isn't something that organically started with the people who were then indicted for conspiracy themselves. We'll be back right after these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, we are back. I know I'm delving into dangerous territory, and I'm doing it right off the bat. This is kind of tricky and scary for me because... You know, somebody who's dialing into this program for the first time might be like, ah, okay, <laughs> slowly back away. This is just a little too conspiratorial. But what if the facts back up the, the idea that, uh, you know, the FBI, the ones who uh, apparently had uh, assets working within the crowd and instigating and participating in whatever it was that happened January 6th? I don't think I would go along with the idea it was an insurrection. It was a planned insurrection. I think something was planned, but it looks like the evidence is leaning towards whatever it was. It had FBI involvement, as witnessed by how many people who are unnamed and unindicted co-conspirators 
still are walking around free. Well, you know, Grandma, who wandered into the Capitol after the Capitol Police started waving people in, go ahead, come on in, is sitting in jail with no no bail because, well, she posed a you know an existential threat to the government of the United States. Harumph, harumph. So this article published earlier this morning on LewRockwell.com, and the article itself is actually from Revolver News. They've done this before, five past cases of FBI incitement. And we're just talking about Mr. Salam, who <clears throat> was, was utilized as, you know, a, a, a person to incite Islamic extremists to try to blow up the World Trade Center back in 1993. And it was supposed to be, you know, well, we're going to have him pretend to help build a bomb. We'll use fake powder and, you know, therefore nobody gets hurt. No, they let him go ahead and build an actual bomb, which was actually detonated and ended up killing six people and injuring many, many more. Not many people remember this because, of course, 9-11 sort of overshadowed anything about the World Trade Center from that point on. But here's the bottom line. In one instance that shows how Mr. Salam was prompted by federal agents, one of his handlers, Mr. Andesev, is quoted in the New York Times as saying, you know, pump, maybe kind of pump him up just a little bit, telling him to stress his loyalty to his cousin. Now, the target in that instance, Ibrahim uh, A. Elgabrani, is the cousin of the man who was charged with shooting another person and now a defendant in a plot to bomb New York City targets. So this, this, this would-be bomber, Mr. Salam, positioned himself as a talented, enthusiastic extremist who lured additional men into the plot, but he wasn't just inciting violent extremism from others. He was also the key figure moving that plot along. Now remember, he was working for the government. And he was paid more than a million dollars for his work, as well as his subsequent testimony. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm trying to give the benefit of the doubt here to, well, you know, I know these, I'm sure there's brave FBI agents out there that are really trying to, you know, just protect the integrity of this country and protect us from real threats out there. Great, but what about the ones who aren't? What about the ones who would actually allow and encourage this kind of stuff to go on? Again, there's a lot of details in the article, but I would encourage you to check it out for yourself. Another example of this was the Garland, Texas shooting. Do you remember this a few years back? The first annual Muhammad Art Exhibit and Contest in Garland, Texas, one of the strangest moments in America's long confrontation with Islamic extremism. This is where a couple of guys actually were encouraged, and the FBI knew darn well that uh, there was something you know going to go on. Uh, what, someone is mocking the prophet Muhammad? And what could have been a horrifying massacre ended up with... Uh, with these guys being killed by SWAT officers just moments before they could go and achieve a glorious martyrdom. But again, as the, as the details point out, this is something that the FBI knew about. It's something it encouraged, it allowed to happen. And you have to ask the question, why? You know, I mean, I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'll cast it around and see if I can come up with an idea. Maybe it's because this is how you can justify your existence. See, this is why you need us. Somebody's just trying to remind us. Here's why you need us to protect you. There's also the uh, the case of Hal Turner. And there was one other one. Oh, uh, COINTELPRO. Best, uh, best known for the uh, counterintelligence program. That's uh, abbreviated COINTELPRO. 
uh, best known for spying on Martin Luther King Jr. and sending him an anonymous letter encouraging him to commit suicide. Oh, and there's also the Herald Square bomber. Five incidents here where the FBI was not just uh, an active, you know, monitor of what was going on and, and, and trying to prevent something bad from happening, but actually instigating illegal activity. I mean, it, it's not to say that maybe they haven't actually caught some people who legitimately did some bad things. But there's enough evidence here to point to maybe the narrative that we're being told about January 6th is incomplete. Can we at least agree on that? Even if we don't, you know, agree on every point, can we at least say maybe there's more to this than is being told? And and look at the 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 clarifications being issued. Well, this baseless claim yeah, we heard that about uh, the election, too. And yet now I'm looking at a chart here of uh, different uh, inconsistencies from some of the different key states in the election of 2020. And it appears, wow, there there really were some some questionable things taking place, or at least some some questionable votes counted. I don't know if it's enough to turn the, the table. I don't you know, I'm, I'm not here to stump and tell you Trump needs to be president. I'm just saying, anytime someone in official position starts to go on about how now you cannot believe or you cannot think any other way, this baseless claim. Sorry, media, anytime you tell me that something is baseless, you tell me, uh, you know, these rumors that the sun is shining is are baseless, I'm going to have to step outside and have a look for myself because I don't trust you. I don't believe you. You've lied too many times. Trust is a curious thing when, uh, you know, you you... you Betray it once, it's gone. And they betrayed it more than once. In fact, if as I've explained it to my kids, if you hear something from the mainstream news, one of the questions you have to ask yourself is, why is this story being presented in this particular way? Why does someone want me to believe the way that this is being reported? And that may sound paranoid to some people, I get it. But I have a lot of years of practice of, of asking these kinds of questions and looking at these stories. And more often than not, it's not some big, blatant, outright lie. Although lately, the gaslighting's been pretty strong. It's, you know, don't believe your lying eyes. Believe what we, the, the anointed, are telling you. But usually it's just misdirection or omission of facts. Things that are left out that could give you a pretty good idea of what's going on, but somehow... You, you, you don't get the full story. So why would I go off on this? Okay, fair enough. I need, to, I need to answer that question. Why does this even matter? Or why should it matter? I think it comes down to this. There is a very real battle going on right now for your mind. And when I say that, I don't just mean politically. You know, the, the liberals are trying to get you to believe this and you need to take the conservative slant. I don't think it can be boiled down like that. I think what it really comes down to is you are being persuaded that uh, reality is what we tell you it is. And that's really dangerous. You, you and I cannot afford to be spoon-fed even good-tasting propaganda or stuff that confirms what we may already believe. We have to be clear, independent thinkers. Otherwise, we're going to find ourselves misled or we're going to find ourselves taken down a path that we really don't want to go. And so I'm, I'm not trying to convince you that I'm right. I've got the answers. 
I'm just trying to convince you, take a tougher look at it. Be willing to ask the hard questions and, and, you know, be willing to be labeled a conspiracy theorist for asking questions. I think it was Will Grigg. May he rest in peace. But Will Grigg, I think, pointed out a few years ago, you know, if you really want to know what a conspiracy theorist is, the best definition I've heard is that somebody who noticed something he shouldn't have and said something. At least that's how it's typically used. You can check out the article in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. We've got to take a quick break. We'll be back just the other side of our messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Hey, I mentioned that uh, among my sponsors today is the uh, Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. If you are one of the thousands of people relocating to the Intermountain West right now, particularly if you're relocating to the state of Utah, I don't have to tell you, it's the hottest real estate market most of us have ever seen. So when you find the home of your dreams, you better have your financing squared away right now or it's going to be gone before you can turn around. This is where Heather Turner and her team at Patriot Home Mortgage come in. Heather has decades of experience in the lending industry, and she very clearly understands the ins and outs of what lenders and borrowers need. She's the one you want on your side if you need to make things happen when time is of the essence. So from VA loans to traditional loans to reverse mortgages, the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage has the stability, they have the clout, to get you the loan you need without delay. By the way, if you're looking to refinance your existing home loan, they can also make that happen as well. So here's what you need to know. There is a link in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. You can also call 435-702-4522. Count on the experience and insight of the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage to quickly get you the loan you need at the best rates possible. They're located in St. George, Utah, 619 South Bluff Street, Tower 1 and 2. Heather's uh, NMLS ID is 715386, and Patriot Home Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender. So here's, a, here's an interesting thing to consider. When you go to a restaurant, why do you go there? I mean, come on, the obvious answer is, well, to feed myself. I, I want to get fed. You know what I don't want when I go to a restaurant? I don't want to be force-fed, a heaping helping of guilt with a social justice chaser. Saw a very interesting article today from John Miltimore. This is from the Foundation for Economic Education. Kind of a curious new trend where restaurants are now adding equity charges to customers' checks in order to fight oppression. John Miltimore's article starts out with, uh, where should we eat tomorrow? My wife asked me excitedly as we sat on our deck Friday evening. She'd locked down a babysitter for Saturday night. We were both eager for our first dinner date alone together in months. Broder's, I answered without hesitation. Located in southwest Minneapolis, Broder's Pasta Bar is a local gem. It has a great outdoor patio, the best Italian cuisine in the Twin Cities. We hadn't eaten there since the pandemic began. He says, my wife nodded and started to make a reservation on her phone. Then her jaw dropped. You're not going to like this, she said. 
and she was right. On its website, Broders has a notice to customers notifying them of a new 15% benefits and equity charge they've instituted. And they justify the charge first by explaining that many states have allowed reduced minimum wages for service staff in the form of a tip credit. More on that in just a few moments. But the restaurant's second justification is that many tippers are racist and sexist. This is what it says, quote, Studies have also shown that there is inequity and built-in bias in the way consumers give tips. In general, black or brown servers receive less tips than Caucasian servers. There is gender bias as well, end quote. Now, the final part of the statement says the new policy stems from wider racial injustice and is not a substitute for gratuity. So back to the statement, quote, in the wake of racial injustice protests and closures due to covid. Now is the time for Broders to reimagine its economics and provide fair pay across the country or the, the company. Rather, our benefits and equity charge is applied entirely to employee compensation. This supplement helps us to set a $16 an hour minimum wage for customer-facing employees, $18 minimum hourly wage for kitchen employees. Altogether, this allows everyone in our company to earn a real living wage. The 15% benefits and equity charge is not a gratuity. So in other words, you still have to pay your tip on top of it. Now, John Miltimore says, Broders is, of course, free to add this additional charge, but there are a few things that need to be noted. First, he says it's true that many states allow tipped employees to make less than the minimum wage. However, Minnesota is not one of those states. Businesses with gross revenue over $500,000 are legally required to pay employees, including tipped workers, at least $10.08 an hour. Now, for businesses with gross revenue less than $500,000, the minimum wage is $8.21 an hour. For Broders to include this sentence... Many states have allowed reduced minimum wages for a justification of its equity policy while fully knowing this policy is not in use in Minnesota is nothing short of deceptive. Second, John Miltimore says, I'm no Robert Irvine, but telling your customers you're going to begin charging them more because they are too bigoted to tip fairly might not be a winning restaurant strategy. Just saying. As a former restaurant worker, he says, I pride myself on being a generous and fair tipper, and the implication that I can't be trusted with this responsibility doesn't sit well with me. Finally, if Broders doesn't feel restaurant workers in the back are earning enough money, there's a solution to that. Pay them more. This action doesn't require any surcharges or public lectures on systemic oppression. It only requires the restaurant to run an efficient, profitable business that allows them to pay workers a wage they believe is fair and livable. Now, he says, out of curiosity, I looked around to see if other restaurants are adding similar charges, and I quickly found one. Pizzeria Toro, a North Carolina restaurant, recently announced that it is introducing a 20% living wage fee. The pizzeria's, the pizzeria, rather's owner, uh, Gray Brooks, said this is the equitable thing to do. In order for the bottom to rise up, the top has to come down a little bit, says Brooks. Now, this is, of course, a perfect example of fixed pie fallacy. For those unfamiliar, that fallacy assumes the economy is fixed, and for the poor to do better, the better off must simply sacrifice more. If we assume that wealth is a fixed pie, then the more slices the rich get, the fewer are left over for the poor, Chelsea Follett explained. In other words, people can only better themselves at the expense of others. In the world of the fixed pie, if we observe the rich becoming richer, then it must be because the poor or the other people are becoming poorer. But fortunately, in the real world, that pie is not fixed. 
Now that the fixed pie is a fallacy is clear, says John Miltimore. New matter cannot be created, but new value can be. Value is created every time two parties make a voluntary exchange. And the market economy is a vast network of trillions upon trillions of value-creating exchanges. The market economy's pie of value grows with every win-win exchange. So there's no need for the win-lose transfers from the have-mores to the have-lesses. Historically, the poor have been helped much more by the freedom and opportunity to participate in the market than from wealth transfers, whether it's in the form of charity or taxation. And the most poverty-alleviating way to use private wealth has not been to give it away, but to invest it in capital goods, which boosts labor productivity and thus lifts up real wages. I mean, that makes sense. It creates jobs. Just look at the rise of per capita income since the 18th century, which shows the growing pie of the market benefited everyone. Now, John Miltimore says the owners of these establishments are free to run their businesses as they like. He says, I'm free to take my business elsewhere, too. But if they really care about uplifting their workers, they should worry less about corporate virtue signaling and more about actually improving their business. And if they still have bandwidth to do some good after that, they might want to work on opposing all the myriad ways, the minimum wage, occupational licensing, etc., that the government gets in the way of workers participating in and benefiting from growing the pie. Most economic fallacies derive from the tendency to assume that there is a fixed pie, that one party can only gain at the expense of another, Milton Friedman once observed. Now, there are some dangers in focusing on equity. And John Miltimore says one of the reasons the fixed pie fallacy persists, no doubt, is this hyper-focus on equity. Some might look at equity surcharges as just a shrewd ploy for restaurants to get more for their workers, but that doesn't mean they're benign. Focusing on equity tends to place labor and business at odds. In other words, it implies the the workers are being exploited and deprived of their fair share. This idea that the employer-employee relationship is inherently exploitative is grounded in Marxism and has been effectively refuted by economists. By the way, he has some great links in his article that if you want to pull on those threads, you can follow these for yourself. Miltimore says this mindset taps into resentment and class struggle, two pillars of socialism, and teaches people to see the world through the lens of oppression and conflict. Now, to be sure, in a new twist, restaurants appear to be trying to pass this alleged exploitation on to customers, perhaps to placate disgruntled workers or maybe to tap into social justice currents, but it doesn't make the idea less harmful. Whatever the case, he says, I suspect attempts to make customers pay equity charges will backfire. See, customers like having choices. That's the, one of the many beauties of markets. He says consumers can choose how we respond to things. If you don't like Twitter's aggressive policies on speech, fine. You can go somewhere else. If you don't care for Chick-fil-A's charitable donations, you can eat at Popeye's. If a car dealership treats you poorly, you can take your business elsewhere. And if you don't like your favorite restaurant's new equity surcharge policy, you can simply exercise the power of exit. And he says, I intend to. The choice for me was simple. My favorite restaurant added an equity surcharge. What should I do? And in John Miltimore's case, he says, I will not be eating at Broder's again, I'm sad to say, at least not while I'm being slapped with equity charges. Gosh, I don't know about you, but I I miss the good old days when everything wasn't politicized and everything wasn't a social justice statement. People just provided good food or good services or good products 
And that's how we made our decisions. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Here's a question that I have posed to my listeners over the years regarding the way that public education is slowly being transformed into state indoctrination. Now, I have to offer this clarification here because I don't I don't want to uh, I don't want to I don't want to throw everybody under the bus here. My wife is a public school teacher and she's really a great one. And I think honestly the public school system is better for individuals like her being a part of it. Now, she's a math teacher, so she doesn't get a whole lot into the, uh, you know, social engineering and, you know, uh, a lot of the the touchy-feely stuff. Her stuff is pretty straightforward. The answer is right or it's wrong. Although you've seen some some push in recent years or recent months that, uh, well, you know, two plus two equals four is kind of a racist construct. Really? Yes. Absolute truths are absolutely wrong. You're sure about that? Absolutely. Okay, well then, here we go. But here's the question I've been asking my listeners and others that I've talked with over the years regarding state-sponsored indoctrination. And the question is this. What would it take before you as a parent chose to remove your child from the public school system? Now, I'm not trying to sow discord here, but I'm, I'm just curious. What would it take? How, how bad would things have to get before you said, wow, I... I just can't do this. I can't send my kid back into this situation. We may be reaching that breaking point. Carrie McDonald from the Foundation for Economic Education has an article about four signs that parents won't be sending their kids back to public school this fall. In fact, they're discovering new educational options like never before. Carrie says as disruptive as the 2020-2021 academic year was, It led to many positive educational changes that will be transformative and long-lasting. Most notably, parents have been re-empowered to take back the reins of their children's education from government bureaucrats and teachers' unions. Frustrated by school closures and district Zoom schooling, families fled public schools in droves over the past year. And there are several signs that these families won't be returning this fall. According to an analysis by Chalkbeat and the Associated Press, public school enrollment fell by an average of 2.6% across 41 states last fall, with states such as Michigan, Maine, Vermont, and Mississippi dropping by more than 4%. Now, these enrollment declines far exceeded any anticipated demographic changes that might typically alter public school enrollment. How many of these students will be back in a public school classroom next year? Carrie says the answer is not as many as public school officials hoped. So here are four signs that many parents won't be sending their kids to public school this fall. Number one, fall 2021 kindergarten enrollment is down. She says much of the enrollment decline over the past year was driven by younger students, especially kindergartners. Many parents decided to to forego early school entry due to the coronavirus and related restrictions or chose private programs instead. So in Minnesota, for example, public kindergarten enrollment was down 9% this academic year, while private kindergarten enrollment was up 12%. 
Homeschooling in Minnesota also more than doubled this year to nearly 10% of K-12 through students. This fall, kindergartners may not be showing up again in public schools. Kindergarten enrollment applications in New York City are down 12% compared to the previous year. In San Francisco, overall public school enrollment dropped 3% this academic year. Kindergarten registrations currently are down 10%. Now, she says some of this public school enrollment decline could be attributed to families who left heavily locked down states like New York and California for more open places like Florida. But in San Francisco alone, 53,000 people left the city. But other districts are seeing similar downward patterns in fall public school enrollment. Marietta, Georgia, kindergarten registrations for this fall are down 40% from last year. Denver, Colorado, fall kindergarten registrations have declined 15% compared to last year. And in Springfield, Missouri, public school officials are only expecting about half of the families who left the district this year to return in the fall. As a result, they're eliminating 49 teaching jobs. Secondly, she says millions of new homeschoolers will keep homeschooling. The growth in homeschooling over the past year has been astonishing. Millions of parents have unenrolled their children from a district school for independent homeschooling. And according to the U.S. Census Bureau, the homeschooling rate doubled from 5% of U.S. K-12 students in spring 2020 to over 11% in fall of 2020. Now, leading the homeschooling surge this year were families of color. The census reported a five-fold increase in the number of black homeschoolers this academic year to more than 16% of the homeschooling population. Now, that's an overrepresentation of black students in the homeschooling community compared to the 15% of black students enrolled in K-12 public schools. And Carrie says while some of the 2020-2021 homeschoolers will return to conventional schooling in the fall, there are indications that many new black homeschooling families will not. Rashida Denning, founder of Black Homeschoolers of Central Florida, says that her members who are new to homeschooling this year have found it to be rewarding and re-empowering. They don't plan to send their children back to school. One common trend we've noticed during this pandemic is that parents have become empowered, Denning recently told RefineEd. She continued, Some new families will return to traditional schools, but we found that most of our families are enjoying this new way of schooling and will stay with homeschooling seeking out support to help them on their journey. Kerry also points out an article on the rise in black homeschooling in this week's New Yorker suggests the increase could be sustained post-pandemic, particularly as homeschoolers have turned to learning pods and homeschooling collectives for support and resources. Okay, reason or sign number three, more K-12 learning options are sprouting. See, this is where the market has come into play. Kerry McDonald reports, despite recent actions by some school districts to limit <clears throat> education choices for the fall, the market is increasingly meeting parental demand for more learning options. Even as cities such as New York City and states like Massachusetts eliminate a remote learning option for the upcoming school year, private online learning providers are growing their reach, hybrid, schooling, hybrid homeschooling programs continue to grow, and entrepreneurs are creating new education models. For instance, in Indiana, two private virtual learning providers were recently granted permission by the state's Board of Education to operate in the state. Now, these two providers will be Indiana's first private online schools and will be able to participate in the state's school voucher program, which allows taxpayer funding of education to follow students instead of being funneled into government school systems. Other states have also enacted new school choice legislation, driven in large part by rising support for school choice policies in the last year. In total, 
13 states have created five new programs and expanded 13 existing programs. That's from Ed Choice's Mike McShane, writing this uh, in an article in Forbes recently. Mike McShane says hundreds of thousands of families across the country will become eligible to participate in the next year or two, offering new opportunities that previously were out of reach. So whether it's virtual learning providers expanding their reach in more states, visionary educators opening small homeschool resource centers, or ed tech startups gaining momentum, entrepreneurs are increasingly inventing new learning options for... Let me try that again. New learning options for families. So Schoolhouse is a good example of an ed tech upstart that connects learning pod families with a teacher to lead a learning pod in a family's home or sometimes an external commercial space. Families sign up through the Schoolhouse website to be matched with an educator, now operating in 10 states with about 250 families. And Schoolhouse just raised $8 million in venture capital funding this spring to expand its offerings and reach. Okay, one final example. A fourth sign that parents won't be sending their kids back to public school this fall. Divisive school practices continue to lure parents away. Carrie McDonald writes, as schools across the country introduce critical race theory into their curriculum, parents and educators are speaking out against what they see as divisive race-based practices that separate students into either an oppressor or oppressed group based solely on one's skin color. Some parents are pulling their kids out of schools they think are indoctrinating children to view others as a member of an identity group rather than as individuals. In Palm Beach County, Florida, thousands of families removed their children from public schools for homeschooling this year. And in one town, Jupiter Farms, the public elementary school, lost 10% of its students to homeschooling. By the way, a primary driver for that exodus was that parents didn't want their children to have to wear masks all day long. Masks will not be required for the upcoming school year, and school officials are eagerly trying to woo families back, but a recent district equity statement turned off some parents. Bottom line is this. No longer content to stick with an assigned school district by default, a lot of parents have uncovered a variety of education options over the past year that actually work better for their kids. Entrepreneurs are building new learning models. School choice policies are expanding. Homeschooling resources are increasing, allowing more families more access to more education possibilities. That's good news, right? With virus-related back-to-school policies still murky and districts continuing to alienate families with racially divisive practices, Carrie McDonald said it's no surprise that many parents won't be sending their kids back to public schools this fall. And my question for you remains, as a parent, what would it take before you decided to remove your kid from that system? Check it out. It's in the show notes at thebrianhideshow.com. This is The Brian Hyde Show.